Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Digital Noir Presents. I'm your host, Sam Davies, and I've got my co-host with me today, Nick Bozic. Hi, Sam. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Nick. What's happening in your world? Um, I went rock climbing. How was that? Uh, my body was not ready. I'm very sore. Where are you sore? In your hands? Oh, everywhere. Everywhere? My hands. I can't click my... I can't uh, snap my fingers. Damn. Um, and my How are you going to get back. people to bring you food? Yeah, exactly. I can't, you know, call a, call a waiter. And, yeah. Yeah. Damn, you need to get a bell. Yeah. Yeah, other than that, it was fun. Cool. Really Will you fun. do it again? Oh, for sure. Nice. Yeah. Speaking about rock climbing, actually, that's not a very good segue. You know who else is good at rock climbing? <laughs> Elaine. Elaine. <laughs> Tony. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Why don't you My say we go face. Manana? <laughs> his face. What happened to his face? Uh, Damn, we should have got a sign voter reference for the rock climbing in there. <laughs> Who'd you go rock climbing with? Uh, two of my mates. Tony? Yeah, Tony and Tony. No. Yeah. Uh, Pat, who's an engineer. Mm. Both high school buddies and yeah. uh, James Pitcher, who's a, he's a fireman. Fireman just recently became a fireman. Nice. Always wanted to be a fireman. Uh, I don't I think so. I yeah. was I was giving shit about like him being in a calendar. You know, okay. firemen always yeah, take yeah. their shirts off when they're in calendars. Is, it, is he actually in one? I don't know. Probably. But he's, he's pretty like chiseled. Okay. Yeah. You got a bit. Uh, actually, I, I think I think you have to be. Um, you have to be fit. Yeah, because uh, I'm Kane. You know, I'm Kane Corns who play for Port. Yeah. Yeah, he was like he he had the record for like the beep test in the fireman fire department. Oh, really? And recently, someone beat it, which is mm. very impressive. Shout out to all the firemen yeah. out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sam, who was on the podcast this week? Sweet. So we caught up with Elaine Stead. So she actually spoke at South Start early in the year, but we didn't get a chance to uh, catch up with her then. She's oh. the managing director of uh, venture capital at Blue Sky Investments, so a VC basically. Okay. Um. Interesting, I'd had a really uh, average day at work. A bunch of fires had erupted. We needed a fireman, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Chiseled fireman to run in and put out the... <laughs> Take my worries away. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I was, wasn't the best move, but I sat down and we had, we had a really good chat, actually. Um, it was, I, we don't think we talked about venture capital that much, mm. but uh, we talked about yeah, kind of uh, work and life and balance and what it is to kind of be human in, in this crazy world we live in. So mm-hmm. I think I think quite a, a, an insightful chat with Elaine. So okay. yeah, I, hopefully you enjoy it. It's always been hazy to me what venture capital does. Um, yeah, well, I actually, um, I, I reached out to Elaine and maybe we might sit down and have another chat because, mm-hmm. um, so, I mean, for, for example, she's sort of managing a fund that, that's set up for startups here in SA. So mm-hmm. Um, essentially, venture capitalists give people money to get ventures off the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, simple enough. Well worth listening to Startup, which is uh, the guy that started Gimlet Media, mm. Alex Bloomberg's um, original podcast mm-hmm. about how he started Gimlet Media, which yeah. he sold for $150 million mm-hmm. to Spotify. Okay. That gives you good insight into the VC world. Okay. Okay. So, so, so like he got funding through like, a couple venture... A few people, yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. A good plug for a pod- yeah. for a podcast that's already made 150 yeah. million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I will. Yeah. Perhaps perhaps someone will give us 150 oh, million dollars. Perhaps Elaine will. <laughs> Please, Elaine. All right, guys. Hope you enjoy this chat.
Do you ply your guests with wine because yes. it makes for a more interesting podcast? Definitely. Big time. <laughs> Cheers. Want to hear all the secrets? Cheers. Cheers. Lovely to have you, Elias. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so sorry it's taken so long. That's fine. To get me in the room. It's, 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 hard to, it's hard to tee up anything, you know. It's hard, uh, to, hard to see your friends, let alone organize a podcast with strangers. That's very true these days, yeah. It is hard though, isn't it? It gets increasingly more difficult. I don't difficult. know why, because it's actually not that hard. But, but why, why do we make it hard? Because I think there is, I don't know, theory yeah. is that these days it's considered less rude to just shift people's schedules and like cancel and stuff, yeah. more so than it used to be. Like if you agreed mm. to do something, you agreed to meet someone at a time, if you blow them off with enough notice, everyone's like, oh yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Whereas now I think, yeah, it's... It's just a different level of consideration and yeah. protocol with people, maybe. I don't know. It's diff- uh, and like we, well, we try and be pretty good with that and at least keep people updated of what's happening. But you yeah. definitely notice with you know, some people, if you change your media, it's like, this is not on. And, and if, uh, like for example, if, like, if Caitlin messaged him, it's like, no, no, Sam, we want to hear from you. Which is fair enough. I, I appreciate that. But Yeah. See, I, I oscillate between... Um, thinking people are really precious when they do that yeah. to actually being like, no, you've agreed to a time. Like yeah. be respectful of that person. You agreed to a time. Yeah. So, but there's, I say that knowing that I have had to cancel this mm. like three times. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, how dare you? I was quite, I was quite close to canceling this afternoon. So. <laughs> and you would have had good reason to, by the way. So yeah, but, yeah. but that happens, right? It's, it is, it's a weird attention suck though, isn't it? Because, you know, I think about it, there's people that I haven't seen for a long time that I really probably should have seen. Like, what, have, what have I been doing in the interim? But it's... Uh, yeah, and you try and do it like a mental tally. And crazy you actually life. haven't been doing anything except watching Netflix. <laughs> yeah, just on Instagram. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those things are important though. Are they? I think I so. think sometime doing that stuff. Oh, hi, Nick. Um, Nick was at the shoot. He was running the shoot they were at before. So I've had a bit of a, a, a crazy day, but uh, uh, welcome to the Digital Noir podcast. Thank you. Thank um, you for having me. So you were talking at South Start. We didn't get a chance to chat yeah, on the yeah. day, but how did you find the event? Uh, I thought it was awesome, actually. Um, and I felt like it was a bit of a coming of age for Adelaide yeah. a bit in terms of the innovation ecosystem because, you know, there were. it wasn't just a collection of... Um, expats who were coming back to Adelaide to have a chat. It actually had a legitimate world class mm, speaker yeah. list, which I'm not putting myself in that. But <laughs> just saying, like, there were legitimately awesome people speaking. Um, so I feel like that's a metric for it being a legitimate conference which people wanted to go to. And, yeah. and actually we had also representation from... Um, you know, the key participants in the innovation ecosystem more broadly in Australia as well. So they weren't just kind of like, oh, isn't that just for Adelaideans? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like it was kind of up there with Sunrise or Myriad or some of those other, you know, innovation yeah, cool. tech-focused conferences. It was nice to see, I think, like championing where we are, where the, where the conference is, but then, you know, seeing the amazing stuff that's happening sort of sometimes sort of under the under the sort of underground you don't hear about well, it so much really underground yeah. like i think australians are very um you know culturally primed to yeah. just kind of not boast about what they're doing too much and i think south australians are like the worst offenders yeah yeah i agree yeah that's obviously a common thread but weird why really i, mean, I suppose that 
it's it's an endearing trait in some regards, but well, in, in, in this ecosystem, it's kind of like, oh, don't scream, you know. It's endearing, but it's self-limiting. Yeah, right? it is. So uh, the only way you kind of, for your customers to know what you're doing is mm. to talk about it. Yeah. And, um, but Australians are really intolerant of that. So yeah. you get a certain amount of rope to kind of, show your wares and be excited about what you're doing. But if you show any sign of getting ahead of yourself whatsoever, we're just super quick that, to just kind of pull It's that tall away. poppy syndrome, I think. Totally. Yeah. yeah. But, it, but it really is. So if you look at a good current example, like pirate life, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, like looking externally, a massive success story, right? Like a you know, bunch of young guys started, started a brewery, build it up, exit, or partial exit, in a couple of years, make a lot of money and, and still retain the, uh, I think, the sort of soul of the brand to an extent. But, you know, in the community, big community, that's, they're sort of been blacklisted almost. You know? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's and it, there is that kind of, you know, that, that mentality of like, well, now you've sold out. I think it's the, the weird um, irony of Australia is that we are culturally primed to back the battler. Yeah. But... Um, also culturally primed once we perceive that battler to no longer be battling. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sure. Yeah. yeah we're sure. going to tell you to tear you down. So you get this like <laughs> tiny window, window of support. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I think that's just really self-limiting. It is. So, um, so your background sort of, you, you studied science, right? At mm. and, then, and then found your way into the world of, uh, <laughs> VCs and, and investment and, mm-hmm. and, and business. Um, How's that been, I suppose? Because so we've, we've done a lot of work with early stage app startups in the last 10 years in Adelaide and, and always struggled, I suppose, in the investment sense, right? Like the, mm. the, there wasn't a lot of excitement around locally. There wasn't a lot of interest around, um, you know, it was sort of people asking their mates for money. The, 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 the yep. ecosystem wasn't here, especially, you know, five or six years ago. So, Definitely. Um, how's that changed, I suppose? Oh, I think it's changed remarkably. So, you know, there's always got to be kind of a champion within a sector that or champions that kind of get it moving and um, create the initial inertia. I think we've always had that. We've always had investment and we've always had money in Adelaide. I just think it was um, not so structured. So we've always had, there's a lot of wealth in South Australia um, and they are investing in startups and early stage businesses in a way that is um, unstructured and yeah. really quite fragmented. Okay. So I feel like the last five years has been a, ma- a maturing of the sector so mm-hmm. that um, and an increase of the participants. So we're getting a critical mass and then there's more education that's happened just more broadly. And part of the role we're trying to play with our venture fund is not just invest in South Australian startups, but bring some of those fragmented angel investment um groups or individuals together so that they can actually build their own critical mass so they're actually getting syndication and there's sure. some professionalism around it not because they weren't behaving professionally before but you know they were like lone wolves trying to do it and yeah. I think that's just so hard um so trying to build a bit of um uh what's the word uh, family and structure Community, and infrastructure yeah. about it, I think is part of the challenge. So tell us a bit more about the fund, I suppose, and, and, and how you go about setting up that sort of network or community. Yeah. So the fund is a $50 million fund, which um, is backed by the South Australian government to mm-hmm. invest in um, early stage 
you know, venture mm-hmm. um, style businesses. And what that means for us is companies that are, um, you know, they've got a, a bit of early revenue. So they've worked out that they've got product market fit mm-hmm. and um, they are really looking to scale up and expand. Maybe that's scale up and expand in Australia. Maybe it's scale up and expand globally. Um, and it's also a co-investment fund. So uh, it was designed that way so that we could attract um, investment from other groups because mm-hmm. part of the challenge, I think, is there are a lot of great VC funds, but they've also got a lot of deal flow coming out of Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. How do we kind of get them to fly down and pay a bit of attention to what's going on in South Australia? And so um, part of our job is to try and you know, convince them to come around here and have a look at the great sort of opportunities that are sitting in South Australia. So, and up until now, we've we've only made two investments mm-hmm. um, over two years. So that's, <laughs> we're, not, we're not investing at a really high cadence, but that's sure. because we are being really choosy. What, because, are, what are those two investments? Yeah. So one is a company called Miriota, mm-hmm. who I'm sure you know of, mm-hmm. and another is a company called KidSense. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. And... Partly the reason we've made only two investments is because we're not in a hurry. Yeah. So we've got seven years yeah. to invest this fund. Yeah. And we want to make sure we're only investing in the best opportunities. So, you know, it's viewed as a fund of um, choice as opposed to a fund of last resort or the one that you go yeah. to simply because it has a focus on South Australia. Um, and so, yeah, we're just being, um, you know, kind of not quick in our decision making. But... What we've noticed is that there's been an awful amount of awesome opportunities which are just a little bit early for us. Yeah. Mm. So part of our responsibility, I think, is to work with the rest of the ecosystem to try and grow them up a little bit yeah. so that they are, you know, perfect and investable for our fund. And so we've been spending a lot of time doing that over the last two years. What do you think as a founder, like what – and so – Historically, I, I spent a lot of time talking to very early stage you know, people with an idea, right? Very, very early stage. And back when I started the business, I was like, I got excited by everything, right? I was like, yeah, I'm going to put some equity in here and we're going to do this. And <laughs> yeah. I've learned some good lessons along the way, but also seen some, you know, really passionate people do some incredible stuff too. And, and to a point where it's sort of like, oh, I wish, you know, there was more behind it, but, you know, it's a, it's a tricky business being in a, being a startup and, and trying to get out there and... It's super hard. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you have to wear 17 different hats at the same time. You're running on the smell of an oily rag. You get um, people telling you all the time what a stupid decision you made and, you know, you, pay, you have to still pay a mortgage or your kids' school fees and so it's pretty unrelenting. So it takes a special type of personality i think to mm. pick that path so so that's interesting so i mean two people that you've, you've got on, on board with so w- what is the sort of uh, if you, i was going to say three but a couple of traits that you look for i suppose in a founder outside of i suppose product market fit or um you know mm. great figures on paper what, what do you look for in a founder so um not just based on the two that we've invested in with the south sure. australian fund but you know over the four funds that we've managed um at Blue Sky so far, there are some key traits that we do look for now that we, you know, every <laughs> venture is supposedly all about, well, we hear a lot about pattern recognition and okay. I um, actually think that's a bit of a furphy because what you're trying to find is the outliers, not the 
people who yeah. are, yeah, the, sure. you know, the patterns are kind of the antithesis to what you're supposed to be trying to invest in as a yeah. VC. Yeah. But there are some common traits that I think are important for founders and one of those is absolutely resilience because mm-hmm. of exactly what you just mentioned, yeah. that it's a really hard path and mm-hmm. um, it's not going to be a straight line from mm. where you start to where you end up, even if that's below the line. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you need to have intestinal fortitude to mm-hmm. kind of get through that. And um, so that's a really critical trait. Do you have a metric for that? Yeah. Someone walks yeah. away, go through a no. test. No, so there's, no, no, we don't. We don't give you a resilience test. Intestinal we, don't, fortitude, yeah. we don't do an escape room test for you at the start. David would do very well in that. <laughs> but, you know, we try to get to know our founders for, you know, as long as we can before we actually make an investment. And mm. so, um, and we try to get, to have discussions with them, which go a bit deeper than, you know, what's what's your business plan, and yeah, yeah. and so you know you try and get a sense of what's this person been through in their life, yeah, and sure. what's something, what's the most challenging thing that's ever happened to them, and mm-hmm. how do they deal with that? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, you can get a sense from that about, you know, it's not foolproof, but it gives you a sense of how they will deal with those challenges and whether yeah. or not they're likely to bail at the first mm-hmm. sign of some, yeah. yeah, some challenges. Mm-hmm. So resilience is absolutely one of them, but it's not the only one. I think um, it founders who are really the, the founders who are really successful have conviction um, around what they're trying to build mm-hmm. and their vision, but the flexibility to not be wedded to that. Yeah, yeah, sure. If the data is telling them that to kind of change and adapt, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So there are a lot of people who have high conviction in what they're trying to build, their vision. And every time someone kind of gives them some data or feedback that goes against that. Critical feedback. Yeah. They're like, no, I have conviction. Mm -hmm. And I'm, um, you know, I'm not convinced that that's a recipe for success. So, Mm. yeah. And I think, you know, they have to be um, pretty self-aware and um, have the ability to read people because if they're to be successful, they're going to have to bring a whole bunch of people on board to help them do what they are going to do and mm. so that requires them to have some semblance of how to interact as a human yeah know, definitely and yeah. not as a robot and i think mm. those three things are the most kind of critical um and they're not that common yeah okay sure it, it's interesting i suppose self-awareness resilience passion agility like none of those are business metrics right it's not like well what what's what's the thing and how much money is it going to make next month? I, I know that that's obviously the underlying factor, but how it, do you see that the human element there being almost as important as the idea? No, 100%. You've actually kind of zoned in on my um, kind of my my passion about the, about the finance industry actually yeah. more generally and, and that is that I think the human factors and this, you know, I'm quotation marking at the moment, guys. Air quotes. Um, air quotes. Air quotes. Um, the soft factors are things that are always, always, always overlooked yeah. as not critical. Mm. They're like, oh, they're important, but we can do without it. Mm-hmm. But I find that, and certainly our experience, you know, over the last 12 months has shown that they're the really critical things that you need to have when everything turns to custard. Yeah. And so um, it's just, it's your insurance mm-hmm. when things are going badly and they will go badly. Yeah. They will go badly for everyone. 
Um, and so that's the stuff that we just don't pay enough attention to in business. And I think we need to find ways to do that in a yeah. way that's more, um, may, maybe more um, data-driven, but sure. I kind mm. of, you know, I'm kind so, of butting against that because I feel like that's the antithesis of kind of the human element. Mm. That, that's a tricky one, I think. And, and, I mean, I, I was sort of, I wasn't going to sort of get into the details of, um, you know, some of the tricky stuff you guys have been through in the last 12 months. Uh, I saw an article you talking about eating an elephant, right? I like, I like that concept, <laughs> but I think, I think that's so important for a, know, a founder or a, an entrepreneur or anybody really like you, you do sort of have to take things day by day and you, things are always going to get thrown at you that Absolutely. are extremely difficult. And that resilience factor is actually quite, um, quite critical really because it's, it's never going to be smooth sailing and never. nobody's ever made a hundred million dollar exit and had no <laughs> totally and i don't think i've met a founder who has been successful who even when things were not going to custard but just kind of going okay mm. or even going well actually sat there and thought oh, this is awesome yeah. like no, yeah. no one appreciates <laughs> it when it actually is kind of um you know the, the lights are going off and the alarms yeah, are sounding. Sure. Like yeah. I think founders tend to not be wired to rest on their laurels and so no yeah. one's no one's popping champagne corks mm-hmm. when like everything's going fine. They're yeah, just yeah. kind of, okay, what's the just next spotting thing? spotting issues, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely, fighting fires. There's an interesting uh, take on that as well. I've got a couple of mates that are entrepreneurs and, you know, they're, they're so driven by, I don't know, something, some other otherworldly drive that drives them. They always want the next thing, right? Mm. So it's like... Where's the end? And it's sort of, it's great because they they're doing incredible things and getting you know get into that next you know whatever it might mm. be, dollar figure or this whatever it might be. But it's sort of, where's the stopping point where you go? Absolutely, and that's why I'm happy th- now. It's why we see, I think, why we see so much, um, so many mental health issues yeah. in the entrepreneurial mm. population because they're not wired to be satisfied yeah. and happy. And I say they, you know, all of us in this kind of um, ecosystem, we're not really wired to be fine with a nine-to-five job, to be mm. happy to have just, you know, a family that's healthy and mm-hmm. like we are wired to not be satisfied. Mm, and yeah. so, yeah, that's great if actually you want to build something that's never been built before and it's great mm. if you want to make your investors money. And, you know, I'm sort of talking off piece here because that's kind of my job yeah, sure. <laughs> to make that happen. Mm. But I also think that the collateral damage of that for most entrepreneurs is um, never really being super happy and never really Mm. being satisfied. And I feel like that's at some point we're all going to recognise that that's maybe not a good enough trade-off. But but the the investments that you guys are in with the the SSA fund have, Mm. I suppose they have a a social good bent to them anyway, right? Mm. So there's, I spoke to the guys from Movember, two two of the gentlemen from Movember um, at Pause Fest and, you know, like, we like to think we run a business that has, I don't know, like a, a good culture and, you know, mm-hmm. we're coming in and doing work that we enjoy, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. These guys are kind of cure cancer, right? Like it's yeah. a it's a different, uh, you know, they're actually coming into work. Every single dollar they earn is going towards. So there's, I mean, there's... I know, but I think we got to get, we got to be careful about measuring our purpose, right? Yeah, like sure. mm-hmm. as long as, because none of us are ever going to measure up to, the surgeon who's cutting cancer, mm-hmm. stage four cancer out of someone, right? So, um, or else we'd all just kind of like <laughs> throw it in and just go, well, we might as well just... <laughs> we're not doing that. Yeah, yeah. We're like obviously well, what we're what, doing is hopeless. So I think what's more important is that no matter what you're building, 
you feel like you have a purpose in yeah. that, right? That's, yeah. mm-hmm. That means something to you. That's mm-hmm. valuable to you. Yeah. You mentioned before about how do we quantify this? Mm. So we talked about it a lot um, yeah, at Pause and we're talking around um, so, so New Zealand is trying to put together a, you know, like a metric around happiness and there's a few other mm. nation states oh, that do that. Cool. Yeah, so I, I don't really know the, the full details behind it, yeah. but they're... I don't know if you know, but well, they well there must be some metric for it because I think Bhutan. Was, yeah, Bhutan's yeah, the, the, the happiest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was it those, was it those blue zone countries? I think it's supposed to be like the happiest. What's a blue zone country? Uh, there's like four or five different countries, and there's like all these different metrics for like what they are, like specific diet and the kind of lifestyle they live, okay. different things like that. Yeah. yeah, but it's an interesting metric, right? Like to because yeah. because we we often look at, especially I suppose in the world that you live in, like you know, economics is the sort of this is our core metric that we're looking at, but is there, yeah, how do, how do you measure people's uh, inherent, I suppose, value in themselves and what they do? And Well, I think what we're, so one of my observations over the last 12 months with the Royal Commission is that um, in our finance services, financial services industry, but I think more broadly, what that's shown is there is a startling lack of humanity. And so... Um, and then that has knock-on effects, which, you know, we've all heard about, like, you know, charging dead people for services sure. that, and, mm-hmm. you know, a whole bunch of things. So it's for me, it's less about um, how do we measure whether people are happy. A lot of this stuff would get solved for if actually what we were choosing, selecting for when we either back entrepreneurs or we're bringing, you know, some someone on who runs a bank mm. is what's the level of humanity that you bring to this role? Yeah. It's not just financial metrics. Are shareholders yeah. making money? Is, you know, our earnings going up? But how are you doing that but also bringing humanity to the role at the same time? Because we don't select for that at all. In fact, we select against it. It's mm. interesting, though, with that, this same Australian spirit that you kind of talked about earlier where we kind of back the underdog and, you know, I think we all kind of – we like to think that we're backing somebody that's, a good, you know, a good bloke – you know, uh, mm. but the you know, politics and, and the way corporate is up and run is, is you know, it sheens over that. Yeah, 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 it's all good, but it's not actually helping anybody. And it's not just business. Like, it's culturally yeah. present everywhere. Like, we look at what's happened at the moment in Christchurch, and I'm sure no one anticipated this podcast we're going to be Yeah, it happens. Um, <laughs> we look at what's happening in Christchurch and the differing way our leaders have dealt with it. So mm-hmm. I feel like Jacinda Ardern has approached it with a lot of humanity yeah. and that's been praised in how that's been how that's helped to start healing a nation yeah. and 100%. showed a lot of um, emotional sort of maturity. Mm-hmm. And then you see what's happened with our politicians and how they've responded to it and it's just um, the starkness is there. So it's not just in our business community and it's it's everywhere like we've just I, I feel and maybe I've had too much time to think about this stuff but I feel like there's like a startling lack of humanity across everything in the Australian landscape at the moment like and maybe more broadly than Australia vulnerability like the, the the you know maybe there's that there's obviously people that are you know we need to mention that are just mm. wankers and you know using these things for their own agendas but who are just way off the radar but then in general, there's sort of a lack of, I suppose, wanting to show vulnerability, wanting to like mm-hmm. be human. Well, because you're not rewarded for it yeah. at the moment. In it's fact, you're penalised for it. You show any sort of vulnerability or weakness, then that gets used against you. Yeah. Um, and I used to sort of know that 
intellectually, but I, I do know that kind of now. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I've written previously about, you know, my mental health issues like anxiety and the, and the like. And um, it's funny how you, you will write about that and everyone will come back and say, oh, so brave of you to do that. Thank mm-hmm. you for doing that. I've struggled with that for ages. Or, um, but it actually is still a, a besmirch, 100%. you know. And people will, given the opportunity to um, further their own agenda, use that against you. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, so you, you, you're you not, um, there's no benefit to being vulnerable or, or to kind of, um, to be more human. Mm-hmm. It's not rewarded. And so therefore I feel like we're rewarding the wrong behaviour mm. and we're, um, you know, we're pushing down the behaviour that actually would make us more human in what we do on a day-to-day basis. Do you think it, Do you think there's a generational shift that's, you know, here, come in, you know, the, the tide's changing somewhat in terms of, you know, there's a lot of talk around, I suppose, our generation and, and below that, you know, are more interested in, in values and especially especially in the corporate world. But, you know, in terms of anything that I do, like, well, who are they and why am I interacting with them? Why, or do you think that is, there's still that just sheen of kind of... I think they say they do. Yeah. Right? So... Um, actions speak louder than words Mm. and I think what's hard for the younger generation is until you hold any sort of power it's very difficult to actually make those changes um, in a real way so in my observation sort of institutionalized systems that exist at the moment they still exist to weed out the humanity and Mm -hmm. to reward the kind of greed is good and just make us money and um, restore shareholder value and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, yes, I hope so. My, mm. The optimist in me says that the, hopefully over time that the, will happen. The thing that bugs me, I suppose, is that that mentality grasping onto, hey, uh, millennials uh, have this uh, demographic, blah, 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 let's build this product that you know, yep. talks to them. How, do, how Being a bit younger than me, Krista, you're not that young anymore, but you're a bit younger than me. How do you feel about... <laughs> Um, like how do, how do you like if you go out into the world and you're looking at mm. purchasing things or dealing with companies like do you do you look at like who they are or what they are or you just yeah definitely I mean oh, like I do I definitely feel bad about buying some stuff like you know <laughs> I don't like going to H and M even though I need some new pants and I might do it this weekend <laughs> like I'm not happy why about don't that. you like going there they have bad they have like very cheap clothing made by in yeah. terrible conditions so things like that so yeah definitely is it, like, is it terrible conditions though? is that is that is that's that my that's my understanding yeah, okay it's like not yeah, good but do you think um, people aren't switching banks because of what has been revealed in the Royal Commission because that like that's we've had this year of them being exposed for super dodgy behavior mm-hmm. and if people really were interested in um, values and voting with their feet then they switch banks and yeah. they go to someone else who is less about how do we how do we wring every last cent out of this dead person <laughs> so, so, so i think people are switching banks more so based on uh clever marketing and and so it's like ooh, i think this is a good product mm. i'm not bad math about like an up bank or, or something similar mm. to this or, or some of these sort of uh other banks that are coming through that are essentially targeted at that mm. or that demographic, yeah. but do have I think quite good values behind them. But right. it's not necessarily the Royal Commission that's pushed people there. It's like, no, hey, I can, uh, uh, whatever the, you know, I've got a budget app that's tied it, into this. Or it mm. doesn't have to be. I, I just use that as an yeah, example, no, but it's a good example. Of something that 
exposed a whole bunch of poor values and yeah. lack of humanity. Yeah. My question was more about are people really voting with their feet on mm. that stuff or do they say they do? Hashtag. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so if customers don't give a crap about it, then yeah. why should the service provider, right. product provider give a crap well, about it? Well, I think it's it? different. I think you have to make a, definitely like a compromise, right? Like you'd have to make a compromise between, like I said, you know, doing something because, you know, you like their values, but also at the end of the day, you're trying to, you know, make good value for yourself and Absolutely. do that. So it's difficult. Yeah, you still you still need a mortgage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're talking, I don't know when it was, last night, the night before about like, the generation differences between say, say our grandparents who were maybe thrifty and mean because of uh, circumstance mm-hmm. and because of there wasn't as much abundance and there wasn't as much, you know, you, mm-hmm. maybe recycling was just a thing of a necessity as opposed to mm-hmm. um, you know, doing good or whatever it might be. Absolutely. Um, and that has kind of come full circle where there's, there's a popular sort of consensus that, okay, the, the younger generation is annoyed and wants to change things, but do they really have the, I don't know, the wherewithal and the understanding of, I suppose, how bad things could be Absolutely. to really change. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I'm from a Dutch family, so multi-generational families mm-hmm. growing in the same, growing up in the same house. So I always had access to my grandparents um, who, you know, fled war-torn Holland, Yeah, well. you know, post-Nazi mm-hmm. occupation, post-Dutch famine. Um, so, you know, I had the benefit of those stories, yeah. mm-hmm. even though I didn't experience that myself, no, obviously. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that stuff um, gets lost mm. in the storytelling over time, the less that becomes, um, uh, you know, relevant to the current generation just because of the passage of time and also because the loss of you know, a generation to tell those stories. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I still, I was putting um, the dishes in my dishwasher on Sunday and um, I remember thinking to myself on Sunday how um, this is the first time I've had a dishwasher that um, is an awesome dishwasher, but my last house I actually had a dishwasher for the very first time in my entire mm. life and I just being so excited <laughs> to not have to wash my dishes by hand and I know that there's a generation of kids now who've never had to wash a dish yeah. by hand in their entire life. I'm the same, actually. When your house is a dishwasher, it's like, oh, yes. Yes. It makes life so much easier. I know. Save like half an hour a day. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny though, isn't it? Because it's, I mean, I suppose it's a new... A new world, new problems, really, isn't it? There's different things that we have to deal with, but absolutely, it, it definitely takes away from the oh, those sort of mundane realities of life, you know. Without and thank God, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> it sucks that we had, we didn't have a dishwasher for six months. We're doing our kitchen. It's, it's like, I don't want to do this. My my wife doesn't want to do. None of us want to do dishes. No, they no sit one there for wants a long time. to do dishes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But there was a time when you had to. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. yeah. But I must say, when I actually buckle down and do it. I quite enjoy doing the dishes. Like I, I like the process. No, I do. Cause it's kind of like, okay. it's meditative or it's, it's a, no. something's been, there's a big pile over here that's dirty. So and now there's a big clean pile over here that I've, so I've, I've, I've impacted that. Right. I've done something. <laughs> well, Look so what that's, I did. <laughs> that's an interesting thing, right? Because I think, you know, I read this quote the other day that we've had a like hundred years of innovation in 10 years, yeah, right? Like, sure. you know, it's just kind of contracting. Um, but I also think that's true of the time that we spend. So in the old days, back in my day, you know, you'd stand at your sink and do your dishes for 20 minutes or whatever and you'd have that meditative yeah. process and you'd do that with a whole bunch of things mm. that you had to do by hand. Now no one does that anymore. Yeah. So how are we getting that same that time benefit? 
how are we doing that now? I, I, and this, this is, oh, this puts me in the position where I was having a chat with my cleaning lady this morning, right? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, yes, I left home late because I had a, a bad morning. Lots of things happened that caused me to stay home late. And Linda came and she was, I'm like, I'm having a shit morning. She's like, do you meditate? I was like, oh, yeah, I do, actually. And she's like, I've been meditating for the last 10 years and it's just changed my life. And I was like, that's awesome. And I had this big chat with her. She goes to a Buddhist temple or a Buddhist, uh, like a uh, guided meditation thing uh, down at Christie's Beach a couple of times a week. And she was saying how like much it's changed her life. And she said she stopped consuming so much media and she's uh, sort of taken to more internal reflection. And it's just given her this sort of peace of mind and she's you know benefited from so much. And it's... Totally. I think I think that, you know, and it's funny because if I'm cleaning the dishes, I have a podcast on. Yeah. Or I, mm. I actually have headphones on mm. 24 hours a day, really. Mm. It, even if I meditate, you know, I've got a podcast, I've some sort of guided thing on. So it's, uh, it's hard to turn off these days. No, and this is mm. the challenge, I think. Like I am wedded to my phone, really. Mm. Yeah, 100%. All the time. So uh, except for when I'm writing, so I still write and that's my... Yeah, a bit of an escape. Meditative mm-hmm. process, yeah. I guess. But it's... Um, a shame, I think, that we're having to force time on ourselves at the moment, which previously mm. was just like a part of our day-to-day lives. Yeah. And we're all probably getting a bit sick because we're not doing that stuff. Yeah, we're not getting a break us, from it. Yeah, 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 we're not giving ourselves the opportunity. Yeah. So do more dishes, folks. Yeah. No, no, now they've got AirPods. I'm trying to think. I'm pretty much wearing them the entire day. Like I wake up, yeah. put them in, ride my bike to work. All day at work. Are you listen to music or, or music podcasts? Yeah, all kinds of things. I think music's fun. I, I, like I think. But are you listening to it? Yeah. Mm. So like not remember, actively. Yeah. Question. Remember yeah. in the Good old question. days mm. when there was just vinyl, mm. and you'd put on a record, mm. and you'd just listen to it. Yeah. yeah. You know, like from start to finish, yeah, yeah. and you'd listen to the lyrics and the music and the story that's been. Tra- mm. You know, we don't do that. Anymore. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Yeah, I don't no. actively listen to it. I was even thinking about getting like a yeah record player just because yeah get like appreciation. The, to the, it. I think the thing. So I, I collect vinyl. I, I think yeah. the thing about just not be vinyl, but that consumption of like records or an LP as opposed to you know singles or whatever is sort of mm-hmm. it's a thing, right? That someone's put a lot of effort into this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sit down and consume the whole thing, and like reading the liner notes, like oh wow, you know, who, mm. you, know you discover all these things. It's kind of mm. it was a different experience, I think, than just you know just having a playlist on. Absolutely, yeah. and it's not. This is not me, sort of. You know, back in my day, um, it's more just I just don't think we're um, I don't think we're showing the same level of respect yeah. to what we're consuming now yeah. than what we used to, and we're not giving ourselves um, enough personally enough respect to be given back the time in our lives to not do anything. Mm. And I'm the worst offender <laughs> for sure, mm. but I've just really noticed that as something that I think is missing. Which, um, like, to our detriment. Mm. We've come a long way from uh, venture capitalism. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I like, I like it because I, I think a part of the thing that I don't know. Cause, so I mean, we've been developing apps for sort of know, six or seven years now, seven years, and the the whole startup e- ecosystem. Even though I'm very interested by it and, and we stay close to it, a bit of it kind of irks me sometimes because it is what this. Irks you? I suppose it's kind of. You know, a bunch of people that think they know what they're talking about, they have no idea what they're talking about, do you talking think very know, loudly. Do you think they know what they're talking about? Or do you think they think they have to portray that they know what they're yeah. talking about? Yeah, I think they, I think they have to portray the latter, what they're yeah. talking yeah. about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And buzzwords and, you know, just... Mm. So I think that if, if we were looking at, uh, 
which we don't really do anymore. But if I was looking at investing in a startup, mm-hmm. I, 100% it would be on the founder. It would be on who are you, what what have you got? Like the, the idea is very important to an extent, mm-hmm. like the niche or what, you know, whatever, what, what sparked it, right? So you're in a, I spoke to a butcher today, there you mm-hmm. go. Um, interesting concept, not interested in the startup world at all, has a problem, needs it to be fixed, doesn't really care about how it gets fixed. Okay, that's interesting. He's not really, a, you know, it's not a, it's mm-hmm. not a, he's not going to start a huge fa- uh, startup from that, but it's like, okay, that's a start. I, yeah. I can deal with that as opposed to coming in and saying like, I've got this brilliant idea. Yeah, it's going to be a billion everything. dollars. Yeah. Going to be a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, so 100% agree. And I think where there is a misalignment between perception and reality, or one of the biggest misalignments between perception and reality in the startup world is um, how much the idea matters yeah. versus the mm. execution you know ideas yeah. a dime a dozen mm. but um they're not worth anything until you actually yeah, can execute 100%. on them and build a product around yeah. them or a service or whatever it is so um a lot of hubris around an idea yeah. and even you know an idea to solve a problem but until you've actually turned that into something yeah. that's functional and then more importantly you've found customers who love your product and you think that that is genuinely something that can be replicated the world over. Mm-hmm. Like that that execution piece is massively underestimated. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's underestimated is because no one's done it. Like the people who are coming up with these great ideas have never had the challenge of executing on it mm-hmm. before. So you don't know what you don't know. Like I don't think yeah. they're um, belligerently oblivious to it. It's just until you actually go through that process. Yeah, like you don't realise how hard yeah. it is um, and so, how much that matters. So what do you yeah. think then to give us advice as, as, as someone that we have a lot of dealings with people that are early stage, uh, other founders or have an idea, okay, we've got a bit of money to throw around for maybe, you know, pitch decks, prototyping, real early stage stuff, right? Like we're not at the point where we're going to be coming and talking to a VC. What are the critical elements then for someone got an idea i've got a niche market that i think this is going to serve really well what do you think they should do at that point i think they need to try and seek out people who can help put some perspective around actually what it would take to build that product and actually what it would take to bring that product to a customer Mm -hmm. and so that might be as easy as just reaching out and speaking to other people who they don't have to have commercialized the same product but at least commercialized something Something. Mm -hmm. because they'll at least bring their own perspective and experience to bear which i think will be useful yeah i think there is um part of the challenge it's not that startups don't want to talk to people who've got that experience base to draw upon it's they just don't know where they are Mm. right so part of the challenge is how do we bring these experienced people who've done this before maybe in a completely different industry like it mightn't mm. be an app or a software product or something sure how do we bring those people and pair them with a startup and a founder who is trying to have those questions answered and those problems solved um, that is still really challenging and accelerators and incubators try to play a role in in doing that at the mm-hmm. moment yep um, but we can do better i think do you think it's a so like watching the the ecosystem grow here and ecosystem but there wasn't i think seven or eight years ago there was, there was not a lot of recourse to information or people you can go and talk to it is about a community it is about seeing so you see that you know the the unicorn the atlassians of the mm. world and then that it does kind of trickle down a bit in the in the oh absolutely i think one of the 
beautiful things about our sector is that there is this give back, give first mentality. Yeah. So, um, and it's not so big that you can't get to person A or yeah. person B yeah, that exactly. you know could actually yeah. be really helpful or give you some advice that you've been really looking for. So it just takes a bit of initiative and, um, and you know, you just have to tell people that that's what you're looking for as well. Um, at the moment we've got some, you know, mentors and advisors in the ecosystem who are trying to second guess what you want or what you need. Okay, yeah. And I think part of it is... You need to put out what your ask is. Mm. I don't. I don't know this, guys. I've never done this before. How, mm-hmm. Put me in touch with anyone and everyone you think might be helpful to yeah, me. Yeah, sure. And for sure, people will want to help you do that. Like mm-hmm. that is the kind of nature of this ecosystem, um, and that's going to get you way more traction and purchase than I know everything. Pretending or feeling like you have to know what you're doing because yeah. no one believes that anyway. Do you think like looking across to say the US or any other places that have this sort of an investment culture that is quite more risk averse than Australia is anyway, do you you see that as kind of a bubble and that, you know, maybe the way that investment has happened here is probably, you know, a a bit more uh, prudent, uh, but probably long term actually a a good thing as opposed to like, let's just dump a bunch of money into early yeah, I think, I think it's it's not necessarily because Australians are more risk averse or more prudent. I think there is less capital, so mm-hmm. yeah. um, there's less competition, so less money is being thrown at stuff that maybe doesn't warrant it. So we've yeah. got this nice balance at the moment where if you've legitimately got a good product or platform or service mm-hmm. and you're a good founder who is driven by purpose and mm-hmm. is open to advice, and um, you'll get funded. And if you're not getting funded, it's probably because you're not you yet. Don't have the thing. Yeah, 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 sure. Like, and that's hard message to get across to people. Mm-hmm. And what, like, I'm not the arbiter of all things that are commercial, and you know, like, there's famous examples of things I've passed on which have gone mm. on to make a gazillion <laughs> dollars. But if you've consistently got investors, please, please tell us yeah. all these. Oh, Canva, oh, yes. Canva, Canva is oh. like one of those ones. Yeah, that right. You know, pitched to us, and I was like, "Yeah, you know, I not don't. feeling it." No, it's it, Melanie was awesome. Like, I mm. thought she was a great founder, and I liked her approach. But I didn't yet understand the um, genuine market opportunity mm. for what they were trying to build. Mm-hmm. Would you like a touch more wine? Yeah, sure. Um, do, do you think that? So, so, but uh, so, just to finish that point though, like if. A lot of investors are giving you feedback, which is, hey, you're not quite mm-hmm. right. Then you've, you've got to um, put your ego aside enough to go, uh, okay, maybe maybe I'm, maybe there's something I need to change or maybe yeah. there's a different way I need to think about mm. this. If one investor, a la me at Blue Sky, says, yeah, no thanks, but, you know, Someone a gazillion else. other awesome investors say, yes, please, yeah, we'll probably sure. go, go, <laughs> go about your day, yeah. Melanie. But... Um, you know, but if you're consistently getting that feedback, you need to take mm-hmm. that on board. Yeah, definitely. Because mm. there's, there's, I suppose, you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know as well, Correct. right? So if there's something that's – I've been re-listening to uh, uh, start up the podcast from Alex Bloomberg mm-hmm. from Gimlet Media that mm-hmm. exited to Spotify for yep. $150 million. Yep. Um, It's really interesting going back and listening to the, the you know, how it all started – how, you know, he obviously had good contacts, but how naive he was, I suppose, starting this uh, business up and then 
you know, at, at the earliest stage, listening to him pitch, and it's it's sort of you know it's it's incredible actually, I suppose, where it can end up. But that that's an ex- I think he's an example of a founder that has the self awareness and agility and you know a passion for what he does and Absolutely. probably probably doesn't have the business sense right right then and there yeah, but that that can be solved for yeah bring someone in to do that absolutely so what what is the must-have that you need to provide for this business right now and what mm-hmm. is the stuff that we can insource outsource somewhere mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. and that will change all the time constantly dynamically and so yeah. good good ceos and good founders will be open to that as well mm. i think it's hard pitching to a to a visa it's hard pitching to anybody it's, it's a you've got to just you know 10 minutes five ten, however long it is to to sort of lay out your you know your your Whole baby thing. on the yeah, line sure. and say like this is this is what i you know and, and there's nobody that's in that position that doesn't care you know they all that's like but there's a this is <laughs> this is everything right this is mm. this is it absolutely and so um and it's uh, soul destroying if you feel like you haven't been able to communicate to this person mm. why you think this is a big problem and um, why your solution is something that they should be paying attention to. Mm. But often um, people's response, you know, will be completely non-personal and subject to whatever biases they have themselves, yep. which have nothing to do with you probably, mm-hmm. um, which is why you just need to kiss a lot of frogs. Yeah, and mm. and sure. continue to refine how you communicate what you do all the time because yeah. at the end of the day, the other thing apart from humanity, which I think is massively underestimated, is an ability to communicate and sell. Yeah. So good founders have good ability to sell what they're doing. Like if you have to convince someone or really explain it six or seven times before they get like you're dead in the water. Yeah. But mm. good entrepreneurs who are successful have a have a knack and a way for bringing people along with what they're doing mm-hmm. and get them excited about it yeah sure is there enough frogs around in south australia at the moment where you can go around and find those <laughs> absolutely like pools? are there a lot of south australian um investors out there for sure are they easily accessible by south australian startups no okay mm-hmm. but you know there's i don't know 10 12 good sort of VC groups in Australia at the moment. There's nothing that stops any of us South Australian startups or early stage businesses reaching out to those guys. Like they're very open to it. And even if they want an an introduction to one of those guys, like we're really happy to provide that. Like we're not going to be the right investor for everyone, but we're really happy to connect people if they're, um, you know, the right sort of fit. We're not going to just blindly introduce people Mm -hmm. because like I don't want to lose social capital with a lot of those investors yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah, sure, but yeah. like if they come and talk to us about what they're doing and they seem mm-hmm. genuine and they're a right sort of wheelhouse, then yeah. absolutely we'll happily introduce them. Mm-hmm. What do you see as I suppose the, the the markets or the niches that are that are doing really well in SA at the moment? There's obviously a lot happening in. Uh, There's a lot happening in space, space and defense, mm-hmm. biotech, which is not a surprise, um, mm-hmm. and biotech, of course. But then there's like a lot of software businesses that are doing lots of different things mm-hmm. and um, they're pretty exciting. Mm. So um, one of the benefits of South Australia is it's got some core industry focuses which can create a bit of critical mass like space and defence. But it's also got all of these interesting little niches popping up which if they're successful or you get sort of one company that really starts to thrive Mm. you can see a whole bunch of things growing up around it which creates its own little industry and that's the point Mm -hmm. we've got to find ways of 
supporting new industries to replace, you know, the old ones that we're losing or needing to transition out of. And government, but certainly not me, I'm not going to be the one who's going to pick that winner. That has to present itself. Like it has to have, has Mm -hmm. to be ground, grassroots sort of stuff, ground up development, and then we'll see sort of what continues to thrive out of that and then we'll do what we can to support it. Being a being a boomerang, myself mm. included. Like, how how do we? So so hiring here in Adelaide is, is one of the toughest things because everyone leaves, right? Everyone wants to leave. Everyone everyone finishes. You guys didn't leave. But don't <laughs> I leave. didn't. I didn't want to leave. Uh, but a lot of people do, right? Like, it's a brain drain. People. people do you go think to, people yeah. want to leave, or do you think they leave because the opportunity isn't here mm. for I, them to grow I, in whatever they chose? Oh, I mean, I was definitely worried I'd have to leave for that exact thing. Yeah, like I was worried I'd have to go to Melbourne or Sydney for a job. And yeah. I felt pretty lucky to get something here. I wanted to leave, so I don't yeah. know if that's changed. Like, I I was like, this is. I think it depends on the I person. I need to get out of here. Yeah, like, this isn't. There's not enough here for me. Yeah. Well, there's not. But, but I think we need to. Um, be able to accommodate both right yeah. so we absolutely want really you know awesome individuals to go out like learn world. a whole bunch of stuff that they're never going to learn here and bring that back to Adelaide yeah. and for that opportunity to be real we need to provide enough of an industry receptacle for those people to yeah. come back yes right yeah. but we also need there's going to be a whole population which is just like you Chris. Mm-hmm. so i don't want to leave like i love adelaide so yeah. if i can continue to grow what i'm mm. you know passionate about here i'm really happy to do that mm-hmm. so we need to have enough interesting opportunities and in companies and in industry and growth to to warrant that too yeah and funnily enough the answer to both of those things is the same answer yeah. right how mm-hmm. do we just grow great companies here who are doing mm-hmm. really interesting things who are going to be around in a few years time yeah um, and how do we really allow them to thrive? Mm. I think that comes full circle back to the fact that uh, people doing interesting stuff need to actually talk about it and they need to you know, shout out, hey, there's cool stuff happening here. Absolutely. There, you know, there's, 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 and, and, you know, we're always surprised at things that come out of the woodwork in terms of like, game developers mm. or you know, people that have had you know, cool little app startups that you just never would have understood that came from Adelaide. It's like, mm. wow. There's, there's interesting things happening. And we so we need to find a way where we're talking about those things so that, you know, people who want boomerangs know that there's stuff happening. In fact, when yeah. I was in Melbourne yesterday, someone who I was talking to said, oh, you're, you're living in Adelaide now. I've heard so much stuff is happening there right now. So yeah, it's cool. filtering out, which yeah. is great, but we need to attach some real narratives to that. So it mm-hmm. can't just be like stuff's happening in Adelaide. Yeah, sure. It has to be stuff's happening in, Ad- in Adelaide. And, for example, there's this and this and this. So we need to mm. attach tangible examples to that. But we need to do it in a way that doesn't set them up for failure. Because right now, if you're a startup and you court media or a profile um, with too much verve, then you're just asking to be pulled yeah. down the minute you do something mm. slightly wrong. Yeah. A couple of them. yeah, Absolutely. And we, so, you know, the media needs to be complicit in this, which is we're not going to throw rocks at people as soon as something slightly negative happens because yeah. that's really just going to dissuade us from talking about it. And we've got to have a state economic development mindset here, not mm. just like a startup mindset or a startup sector mindset. No, I agree completely. I think that the thing that stresses me a bit about where our state's heading is the, I, I suppose, the defence sector. And I appreciate that that's where money is, right? But it's... I feel like there's an undercurrent of 
other things that can happen here and this is a great breeding like you know mm. it, it is actually a good ecosystem it is a it has all the you know the the seeds planted to be a great spot for people to you know grow interesting companies and, and do great things um but it's hard when you've got that kind of yeah i i agree but i also think about um you know the eating the elephant yeah analogy which is you know one bite at a time so we need to have enough of an anchor industry to, sure. to get the critical mass. So that's yeah, what defence sure. and space yeah. is starting to do for us, I think. Yeah. And then the next, what that allows is some of these other kernels to, br- to, to, grow, off to grow and develop off mm-hmm. of it. But then we need to put the same sort of love and attention and watering and fertilising yeah. into those guys like we have done for defence and stuff as well. So... Um, but I think you're right. We can't wait 20 years like perhaps we saw in Boulder. We have to try and sure. find a way to contract that. So how do we, how do we um, contract the time from having our seed industry like defence and space and getting to our next new industry, which, mm-hmm. you know... Legalise marijuana. Yeah. Maybe, right? <laughs> Maybe. But, you know, whatever. Whatever it's it a, is. You're right. No, that's a good point, though, because it's kind of a bit of an optimist dream to be like, well... Let's forget about the the thing that's actually going to make big dollars and just focus on things that aren't. Mm. We we still have to have an ability to nurture the industries that we have a comparative advantage in, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so defence is one of those. The yeah. other is agriculture, yeah, you sure. know, an yeah. old industry, mm-hmm. but one that still has an ability to transition or leverage into innovation. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I don't personally think we're doing enough around that in South Australia at the mm. moment. So yeah. that's an opportunity. But then we also need to sow some new industry stuff as well. And I think we are doing that. Yeah. The challenge is we need to have policy and um, uh, commitment to uh, sustain that over a longer period of time yeah. than a government um, election period. Yeah, and that's mm. that vision, right? It's a, it's a, it's a vision for the state that, that transcends Labor or Liberal. And I... You know, the thing that buoys me at the moment is I feel like we have bipartisan support at the moment for trying to grow our innovation sector. And Seems I think, like it. Yeah, mm. So, and that's awesome. Yeah. So it makes you realise, okay, some of these initiatives that are being put in place, like the Venture Capital Fund, like the Chief Entrepreneur's Office and the various different initi- initiatives that they're building out at the moment, that that's likely to get carried on, mm. right? Because nothing here is going to change in, like... No, that's right. Mm -hmm. It has to be something that we're taking a 10 or a 20 year, um, you know, perspective on. So, you know, and I think we've got that buy-in. I don't think that's true in every other state in Australia. No. And then outside, I suppose, of, uh, you know, where big dollars are, we've also got the food and wine industry and we've got a lot of interesting niche industries that are happening fashion as well in Adelaide. Well, see, that's the other opportunity. (laughs) I say, sorry, I get really excited (laughs) about this stuff. Not necessarily fashion, but creative industries, sure. right? Yeah. So we're the festival state. Yeah. Mm. Why are we not focusing more on creative industries mm. and Pro- innovation? Production. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. yeah like it's a comparative advantage yeah. that we're just absolutely not leveraging. Yeah. Mm. It's almost and like it's happened despite us instead of it because we've put concerted effort around it. Mm. But is there, a, is there a big disjoint between sort of, I suppose, uh, fostering a you know, the artistic spirit of stuff, which has always been there, right? Mm. In in sort of parallel with mining and resource-intensive agriculture, which has its place as well. Sure. And there's a lot of forward-thinking agriculture that happens and probably, uh, you know, mining as well. They all have their place. But, yeah, it's, it's, but is, it, is, it, is it making that longer-term identity for who 
what South Australia is and where we can go? Um, from, from a creative industry perspective? Yeah. Well, I think we are, right? But we're not doing it to the maximum. Yeah. Like, you mm. know, we're known... Like, if the Fringe Festival got taken... Or the Adelaide Festival got taken away from mm. us, like the Grand Prix got taken mm. away from us, <laughs> what would we do in March? Yeah, like, yeah. honestly, it would... So it's such an integral part of our economy and our tourism economy um, and our food and wine economy. Mm-hmm. So why aren't we taking this amazing knowledge and expertise base that exists here and the mm. fact that this attracts people from all over the world and leveraging that yeah that, into that, creative that's the kind industry of the, that's the uh that's a teaser right that's like 100 percent. we should totally be doing creative industry incubators and accelerators while the fringe is going or on the you know or the festival yeah, or on the sure. shoulders of those mm, things mm. while all these amazing people are here doing their comedy shows or whatever it is anyway why aren't we bringing those people into mm-hmm. these creative industry startups and providing their expertise like we do for you know a whole bunch of other different types of vertical specific yeah. accelerators and incubators come for the wine stay for the innovation 100% <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh thanks so much for coming down there. <laughs> If, if uh, people want to find out more about you or, or get in touch with, uh, you know, I've got a, I've, I've got a, uh, a product fit, uh, you know, business that I'm interested to find some VC funding for. Where do I, where do I find? Yeah. So I think the email address is, um, actually, I don't even know the We'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes. But I think it's deals at um, blueskyfunds.com.au, VC mm-hmm. deals. But um, yeah, anytime or tap me on the shoulder at an event, like I'm sort of always at these things. So mm-hmm. anyone can find me, stalkers, whatever. <laughs> Anybody. <laughs> find me anywhere. <laughs> um, yeah. But thanks, thanks for having me. No, thanks. It was, it was good very chat. good. And nice wine. Mm-hmm. Took my mind away from uh, the, uh, the yeah, day. So. Exciting, an today. exciting day. It was an exciting day. It was. That's right. <laughs> Resilience. Yes. I'm a good founder. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, Christo. Easy. Thanks. thanks.